0: ladies and gentlemen welcome into the heartland after dark podcast a podcast where we talk about big 12 football and everything going on in the big 12 conference my name is joe tillery i'm joined by my co-host Derek duke we hope you're having a wonderful day but before we get down to the nitty-gritty of what's going on in the big 12 conference we got to tell you what ice cold beverages we're rocking with this week i myself just went classic went straight up white claw hard seltzer a little black cherry action i know it's not the uh preferred taste of everybody out there but I tell you what it's okay for a uh, a rando sunday night so it'll it'll do the job tonight what about you Derek
1: I've got some just some uh classic Elijah Craig bourbon nothing nothing too fancy tonight so just uh went with some classic Elijah Craig and you know sometimes you can't decide what you want so you kind of pick something pretty neutral so that's kind of what I decided to roll with tonight
0: hey that works and I tell you what we've got something great to talk about here this week I know it's no secret that nobody really understands what's happening with the Big 12 tiebreakers, but I tell you what, we're going to make sense of some of the specific football games, starting off with Texas and Iowa State, a game with a ton of implications. Derek, what would you think about the game between the Longhorns and the Cyclones?
1: Well, for the first half, I thought it looked like a Big Big Ten West football game. You had a 6-3 score at halftime, and I thought, You know, maybe it wasn't Iowa State playing football. It was Iowa out there playing football. But in all all seriousness, I thought it was a great game. The first half was very defense heavy. Neither offense got anything going. I thought Iowa State's defense held up pretty fantastic against a really good Texas offense, uh, minus Jonathan Brooks. And I thought Texas did a great job defensively shutting down Iowa State for the most part. The thing that really stuck out to me about this game was the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I thought the Texas defensive front absolutely dominated uh, Iowa State's offensive line. They were, they were able to get pressure on Rocco Beck throughout the game consistently, and they they essentially shut down Iowa State's running game to just nine yards on 21 carries. I mean, Iowa State averaged less than .5 yards per carry, which is not a stat you see very often uh, in the Big 12, but that's been a big part of Iowa State's offense. I know we like to talk about how they've, they've opened things up with Nate Shieldhouse, at offensive coordinator how Rocco's been slinging all over the yard but truly they've really been a balanced offense I mean you look at their stat sheet over the past few weeks I think in the four of the last five games they've rushed for over 150 yards and that's kind of really been key for them and just something they weren't able to do in this game yeah they had a play or two here to, the long one to Easton Dean on the fourth down the jump kind of jumped past that was pretty cool and then uh, Beck throwing a dime to Sanders there towards the end zone to put two uh, two scores on the board for the Cyclones but in the end texas made the adjustments at halftime and i thought they really came out in the second half and dominated that, that and to me joe that's the difference between this year's texas team and some of the previous ones because they had two touchdowns wiped off the board due to penalties in the first half and i felt like some of the old texas teams may have put their head down a little bit and went in the halftime kind of sulking. and this team didn't they made the adjustments and they did what they needed to do to get a win and quinn ewers i thought he played well two touchdowns 281 yards but CJ Baxter got to give kudos to him because I thought he did a great job uh, filling in for Jonathan Brooks. Uh, he did a really good job for them, and I was pretty impressed by his performance uh, against a pretty good run defense. So overall, good win for Texas. This, uh, this was the kind of the game I really guess of the year, if you want to call it that, because this this had such huge Big Twelve title game implications in it. Uh, because if Iowa State wins this game, it'd have been total chaos. But Texas ended up going and just now one win away from clinching themselves to a big big 12 title game birth. Uh And another thing, Joe, I know it's probably not a big deal or anything, but uh, for the first time since 2009, Texas has now won 10 regular season games and you look at kind of just the history of the Longhorns over the last, you know, 13 or whatever, 12, 13 years and just the rough patches that they've had and, you know, glimpse of success, I guess you would say, but, I think this is without a doubt the best Texas team since Colt McCoy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you said it. I think one thing that I realized this week, like obviously Iowa state is not a bad football team. Like they get credit. They've deserved some of the stuff they've done this season. They've definitely been impressive for where I think everybody expected them to be at this point in the year, especially with what we knew based off like some of the gambling stuff, some of the stuff going into the season, obviously now that's kind of, you know, it feels like three years ago, almost a uh, timeline wise, but What you really look for in this game, like Texas's dominant defensive front is unbelievable to watch. Like when you want to talk about a team that's capable of winning a big 12 title or a team that's capable of winning a big game, the O-line D-line is so important. Texas's defensive line is unbelievable. I mean, they have completely shut down some of the better, you know, rushing attacks in the big 12 conference. You've had some guys that realistically should be drafted within the first two or three rounds of the NFL draft whenever they do decide to go, but Texas's defense is absolutely legit. I know that CJ Baxter did a great job filling in for Jonathan Brooks, but, and partially, I was a little bit worried about that coming into the game. Obviously, Jonathan Brooks being an absolute stud for Texas, but I think that it really showed me just how dominant this defense can be against really anybody in the country. I did read a story today from on threes Andy Staples talking about his pick for the college football playoff had Texas at number four, taking on Georgia. Do, do you know, can this team take up keep? you know, keep up with a team like Georgia. I don't know. I'm not here to make that argument, but you're really starting to see some of the foundations of those moments with specifically Steve Sarkeesian squad for Iowa state. I mean, you know, they really still, I don't know, man. I, I know. So I feel like I know so much, so much and so little all at the same time about the whole tiebreaker implication stuff going down the stretch. But obviously Iowa state, you know, you win this game, you win the next game against Kansas state. You're in a really good spot. Doesn't go that way. I mean, you lose by 10. You know, you said the the Big Ten West comparison for the first half, it definitely felt that way. Uh, Rocco Beck, I mean, wasn't bad in this game, but the biggest thing you got to look at, nine rushing yards as a team. That's ridiculous to see. I mean, they lose 123 to nine in the ground battle. So that's kind of the thing to take away. I don't know how that bodes going to Kansas State, but I assume it'll be better than nine yards in the next week. But let's move on to the next game here. Another one with some Big 12 tie, you know, tiebreaker implications as well as teams looking to make the make the trip to Arlington. You had Oklahoma State taking on Houston, and for the majority of this game, I think Oklahoma State fans were not only pulling their hair out, but they were ready to you know, do whatever whatever comes to their mind. I mean, it was a quick one where you lose your fandom, you lose the colors, you lose everything you can. That was kind of the performance it was set up for before Oklahoma State bounced back and got back into it. Derek, what would you think about Oklahoma State and Houston?
1: Man, I'll tell you what, the way that first quarter went down in this game it was like shades of the UCF game a week ago where oklahoma, i thought oklahoma state had you know there was a good chance that they were going to get blown out in this game because if you if you pair up their their first quarter with the last four quarters that they played against UC, yeah i don't know if any other team in the big 12 had a worse uh, five quarters in any any stretch uh, stretch of the season so really really tough start for oklahoma state luckily for them they were able to bounce back and uh, the momentum swing in this game for me was when Donovan Smith threw that interception late in the first half with about two minutes to go. He throws an interception, and just two plays later, Oklahoma State's able to punch it in. Um, they were able to save enough time on the clock to get another possession and, and kick a field goal. So at one point, this was actually a 23-9 to ball game with two minutes left in the first half, and all of a sudden you go into halftime. It's a 23-19 game, and it feels like Oklahoma State had all the momentum and just – some some really bad mistakes about from Houston as we've seen before Joe that it just seems like time and time again this team finds a way to shoot themselves in the foot and that's exactly what happened in this game for Houston uh, you had a taunting penalty that cost Houston late uh, late in the game then you also had a, a miscue on defense where you had 13 or excuse me 12 guys on the field on a third down play just to give Oklahoma State a first down so there were a lot of things Houston did wrong and you know the 10 penalties kind of speaks to that as well but Focusing on Oklahoma State, I thought they regrouped fantastically in the second half. They outscored Houston 24-7 to in the second half. I thought Alan Bowman did a decent job throwing for three hundred and forty yards and two touchdowns. Big star of the show, of course, to nobody's surprise. Was Man, when this team went in doubt, they just feed the ball to Ollie Gordon, and that's exactly what they did, and it paid off for sure. Uh, Burton Presley also had a nice game as well, but... Overall, I thought Oklahoma State did a really good job, kind of not panicking, making the right adjustments at, at halftime and then going out there and playing their best football. But on the flip side, Houston, I mean, this was a must-win game for them to get to a bowl game, and uh, obviously that's not going to happen now. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of positivity going on for Houston. I don't know if you saw, Joe, before the game uh, or even during the game that the crowd there in Houston was pretty, pretty pathetic. There were actually more Oklahoma State fans uh, then Houston fans there, which was uh, pretty interesting to see. Not something you see uh, too often on on a road game. But I don't know, man. This this whole Houston thing. This is just so weird. You had uh, Tillman Fertitta showing support for Dana Holgerson. Then Dana after the game saying he just wants to be competitive. They're not really focused on wins and losses. But I tell you what, they're staring at a four and eight season uh, in the first year in the Big Twelve, and something's got to change there. I don't know what's going to happen with their staff, but. Uh, I guess just kind of focusing on Oklahoma State this was a huge win for them I I know it may not seem much beating Houston a team like Houston for how bad they are but this is a must win for Oklahoma State if they wanted to get to
0: Jerry World uh, come December you said it I mean watching this game that first quarter I was panicked not seeing Ollie Gordon get the football and then it was almost like a light bulb went off and then they remembered they had Ollie Gordon they're like oh yeah he's really good at football let's give him the football and then he runs you know for 164, 164 yards on 25 carries for three scores on the day. This game definitely didn't start off the way anybody anticipated. I mean, maybe some people on the Houston side of things, but I don't know. I mean, Houston has continued to do this thing where they look really, really good for short spurts. And we've talked about it on the podcast, how confusing they've been this season. But I don't know how often I can recall where fans are visibly chirping their own ho- their own head coach on the sideline because of a, you know, whether it be a get out of town, do what you're going to do, uh conversation or not it feels like there's just a lot of confusion with houston right now and i don't know if it's one where you you know you wipe the slate clean you start fresh or whatever the case is especially when i mean everybody knew that houston would struggle this season there's no secret about that but they've been in so many games that you wouldn't have anticipated them to be in just to lose in heartbreaking fashion so for the houston fans out there that are really you know living and breathing with the team man i you know i commend you but also that's just kind of how it is right now. And I don't know whether that's a Dana Holgerson thing or the department thing or whatever the case is, but man, the fan base, like, like I don't mean to take a shot about an entire fan base here, but you look through those stands. I mean, you said it, Derek, it, it is virtually empty. I mean, Oklahoma state travels to Houston and it was a 60 40 split. It felt like of Cowboys fans versus Cougars fans in the stadium. That's got to change. I mean, that's going to change with time. You're in the big 12. I get that. Um, if they get the right people in places, I do believe that's going to change, but it is also kind of a, you know, It's kind of a, a backhanded thing to say. Once they start winning, then people will show up. But it is what it is right now. Unfortunately, Houston, I mean, they are staring at a 4-8 season, and I don't know if they can really escape that reality at this point. We'll have to see what happens next week. But for Oklahoma State, I mean, it does baffle me. Like we talked about it early in the season, how many times they forget to give the ball to Ollie Gordon. It, it just does not make sense. I mean, I, I don't know if he was playing at 100%. Obviously, when you rush for a buck 64 and three scores, you're doing something right. But I don't know if this was truly a 100% healthy Ollie Gordon that we've seen in the past, but man, he's one of the best players in the Big 12. I mean, if not the league's best player, Brennan Presley continued to go out there and dominate 15 catches for 189 yards. It was a good day for Oklahoma State. They needed the bounce back and they got back in the saddle and it was a good win for them, even if it started a little bit off on the wrong foot. Moving on to the Sunflower Showdown, a game where I think if you asked, you know, 80% of Big 12 fans, everybody would agree that this game was, I mean, by the fourth quarter, this game was Kansas' to lose, and that's what happened. I mean, Kansas State didn't look like they had that momentum, but I'm interested to hear what you think about this game uh, with K-State getting the win late over Kansas. Certainly one of the most competitive
1: Sunflower showdowns that I can remember in the last 10 years. Um, Kansas, man, they had Kansas State on the ropes, and before the game, it was announced over the, I guess, the loudspeakers that Jason Bean was going to get the start in this game, and I don't know if that was like a swerve to throw off Kansas State or if it was some psychological stuff, but uh, Jason Bean didn't even take a snap of this game. It was ended up being the third string Cole Ballard. And, uh, you know, he certainly made some plays out there, but he also definitely made some freshman mistakes with his two interceptions. So th- there were some good and some bad for Kansas. Uh, overall, I thought they kind of caught Kansas State off guard with a few things they did offensively. and And that's just a credit to the Kansas offense, man. They, even without, it seems like no matter what, who they have at quarterback, they're able to make some things happen, you know, and that's it's pretty amazing to think how far this program's come because you know, five years ago, if you talked about Kansas's third string quarterback going out here and competing with the team like Kansas State, you would have called me crazy and and now here we are, uh, you know and that's exactly what's happening going on. That just kind of shows you how far this program's come. Uh, overall, I thought again, Kansas really had Kansas State on the ropes for most of the game. They had a 27 to 16 lead at one point in the third quarter and and this i don't know what happened but kansas state just flipped the switch because before that prior to that they weren't playing well defensively it was, it was very weird they were out of position a lot of times well howard wasn't having his best game through the air so there were just a lot of factors going on uh, going on in lawrence on saturday but when crunch time when push came to shove i thought kansas state kind of felt like you know we're we're the we're the big brother of this game we're the we're the team to beat so they really took over, you know, in the last quarter and a half of this one, and took it to Kansas. Because after that, Kansas offense couldn't do anything; they were shut out from that point on. And Kansas State was able to get a few scores. I thought Will Howard bounced back nicely. He had that nice touchdown run in the fourth quarter. DJ Giddens obviously was a, had another big performance, 102 yards and a rushing touchdown as well. But man, overall, I thought Kansas really Kansas State, excuse me, took control of this game when they needed to, and that's exactly what happened because. You know, when push came to shove again, Kansas State was the team that made place and Kansas fell short. That's exactly what happened here for me. You know, just kind of taking away, t- taking a step back from this rivalry, I didn't realize that Kansas State's now won 15 straight uh, Sunflower Showdowns. And I guess the one thing I'll say here is as long as Chris Kleiman and Lance Leopold stay where they are, this is going to be one hell of a series. Uh, moving forward, because you know the big, new Big Twelve doesn't have a ton of bra- you know great rivalry games, I guess you would say, from an outsider's perspective. But this is one of those games that I can really feel like uh, help the Big Twelve, especially you know when marketing get eyeballs moving forward, because you have two fantastic coaches in the state of Kansas that are going to get a chance to battle out every single year for the trophy. So, uh, really looking forward to this one for years to come.
0: That's definitely true. We've seen a lot of evidence here recently. I mean, it feels like every job that has a you know a vacancy at the power five level seems to have a list, including either, you know, Chris Kleiman, Lance light or both, you know, we've seen the A&M job, the Michigan state job, the Northwestern job. It feels like both, both coaches have popped up semi consistently. Do I expect either to move? No, but um, I think that you kind of already made the argument, like watching this rivalry is so important for the league, as well as like with bedlam ending the sunflower showdown becomes the third longest stretch or longest running college football rival- rivalry rivalry in college football right now. And that's kind of a crazy thing to think about. I forget who the two are in front of it. So I apologize for not having that stat ready to go. But I mean, specifically about the game, I think it's important to note, like Kansas is a different team than they were two, three years ago. I mean, this is not the same Kansas. I know that's not, you know, the hottest take ever, but if it wasn't already evident when you're up by 11 points over your rival heading into the fourth quarter, like that should definitely be something that fans take away. Um, as far as the game outcome, like Kansas had this win. I mean, they did. They let Kansas State back into the game with a muffed punt on special teams. And special teams was kind of the difference maker. I mean, you had K-State block a kick and take it back 99 yards for a two-point conversion, which is always kind of funny because I feel like my brain wants to say it's a touchdown. But, um, you know, you see one of the rare moments there. And overall, like, I don't know if you can recall a time like this. I don't know that I've ever seen more fans at the booth at for KU at any game in the past decade. I don't know if I've seen that um, or something, anything specifically in that sign, but I think overall you got two great teams from the Sunflower State. A lot of kids in the state that are really looking forward to competing over the next couple of years. I think this rivalry is going to be one that's really important to the league. Obviously, I would have loved to see a couple of other you know rivalries maintained in the future of the Big Twelve, but I was yeah, Farmagin is a great example of that. I mean, that's exactly one that should be saved and protected, and it's crazy to me that the league hasn't. I'm sure we'll talk about that more at length in the future, but overall I mean what a game I mean just exciting to watch and there's a lot of games this week that weren't so exciting to watch so I will not take this one for granted by any means but moving on to another tight contest we had Oklahoma and BYU in a game that I don't know that many people expected to be close but sure enough it was what did you think about OU and BYU I certainly didn't expect it to be close because after what we've seen from
1: BYU the last couple weeks uh, I didn't think they had a chance in hell to win this game they had no business being in this game but I'll give credit to where credit's due, man. They played, they played pretty hard, and the fans there in Provo showed up, man. And that was, you know, for a team that came in, came in the day, you know, going five and five, there wasn't a whole lot for them to play for outside of I guess a win in Oklahoma and trying to get to that magical six win for bowl contention. But I thought the, the turnout in Provo was fantastic. BYU hung in there punch for punch in the first half, man. Their score was seven tied at 17. Going into halftime, I thought both teams showed great fight in the first half. It was pretty much a back-and-forth type of game uh, in that first half. And, and, you know, in the second half when Dylan Gabriel didn't come out for Oklahoma, I thought maybe that would have been a chance for BYU to really uh, have a true shot to win this game and maybe take some of that momentum away. But, you know, I'll give credit to the true freshman, Jackson Arnold. He comes in highly touted, and, boy, you know, didn't light up the stat sheet necessarily, but when it, when it mattered most, he certainly made some big throws, especially on third downs and those key downs. He was able to move Oklahoma's offense. For me, the shift here was that Billy Bowman pick, you know, for like a hundred yards, BYU was right about to score uh, there in the third quarter and Bowman just picked one off. He jumped the route and just took it back a hundred yards. And, and for me, that's kind of where this game was won for Oklahoma because after that they were able to kind of just hang on to their lead. But again, when it mattered most, the sooner, sooner's made plays. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's status is going to be something to keep an eye on. They're going to take on TCU on Friday. So he, his health is going to be certainly, uh, the topic of conversation in Norman because, you know, without Dylan Gabriel, we haven't really seen Jackson Arnold play for what more than a, a quarter or two. This is really the first time we've got to see him play at length. And another key thing that he also burned his red shirt in this game, too. So that would be something to, to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. But, Overall, I thought Oklahoma did a nice job. Gavin Sawchuk continues to be uh, to prove why he should be the number one back for Oklahoma. Uh, Drill Farouk had uh, got injured late in this game, which is also going to be another injury to keep an eye on. But overall, I thought the Sooners did what they needed to do. They got that tough, gritty win on the road. Which, man, in Provo, I guess you know, crazy things can happen because it was just uh, they had a really tough time, but they could win. So that's all that mattered. But for me, I think for BYU's perspective. going back and forth between, you know, who's better Keaton Slovis or Jake Retzloff. I, I think you got to go with Jake here, even if Keaton Slovis sells you, because the stuff he's able to do outside of the pocket, his athleticism brings a whole nother dimension in this offense that so desperately needs it. And and one thing I will say for BYU coming in this game, Joe, uh, coming into this game, they were averaging 90 yards per game on the ground. They end the day with 217 rushing yards. That's just, Against a team like Oklahoma who's been pretty stout against the run all year, that was a pretty eye-popping stat for me, and that's exactly why BYU had a chance to win this game because they were a threat to run the football, and that's something we really haven't seen from this offense all year long. So moving forward, if this is something that they're capable of doing, uh, Oklahoma State might be in trouble next weekend. But, again, this was a a must-win for the Sooners who are still looking to uh, find a way to get in the Jerry world, but they're going to definitely need some help.
0: I think, you know, the main thing here, obviously, it's a closer game than I anticipated. And, you know, Oklahoma got banged up. That's going to be something to monitor. We've talked about on the podcast, the fact that BYU could not run the football over the first, I mean, 12 weeks of the season, 11 weeks of the season coming into this game. Sorry, 11 weeks of the season. And then they go for 200 yards on the ground. I mean, that's ridiculous against a stout Oklahoma defense that had been doing pretty well against the rushing attack this year. Obviously, they've had a couple of lapses, but... BYU being able to establish the ball on the ground like that's a big part of their game that I didn't anticipate by any means seeing. I mean, Aiden Robbins finishes with 22 carries, 182 yards in the, on the day. Just averaged, you know, every time he touched the football, it looked like he was running one-on-one with any sooner's defender past the first down marker. Uh overall, I mean, obviously I think I'd be a little upset as a BYU fan about the call to you know, throw it on that first and goal situation before the Bowman interception for 187 yards back the other way. Um, I think I'd be a little frustrated in that sense, but I don't know. If you play the moral victory game, this is impressive. I mean, you have Jake Redslav. He's not your starter, but I agree with you for sure. I think you go with Jake Redslav. I think he adds a different element to the BYU offense that realistically, unless Keaton Slovis has been perfect, which we haven't really seen at all. I mean, you've seen glimpses of drives here and there where he's been really solid. Unless he's perfect, I don't know that he does anything ridiculously better than Jake Retzlav, and Retzlav has the momentum in the pocket. I mean, you saw a couple of different fourth and short, short conversions where Retslav scrambling around the pocket and then goes and makes a completion here late to sneak a first down. So, I mean, obviously with BYU, you want to get the win. It's one of those close like Texas-Houston games where you expect, you know, Texas to destroy Houston. In this sense, you know, obviously, you know, the comparison between the new four edition school, BYU to Houston and then Texas and Oklahoma it's heartbreaking to lose, but it's still a good game to be involved in. And I think overall, like, yeah, you wanted to win it and you wanted to have it late. I thought, honestly, when Dylan Gabriel went out, it might be that, that not even motivation because you don't want to rally around somebody getting injured, but it felt like enough that, okay, BYU has a legit ability to win this game. Didn't work out, but um, I do want to give credit because Kalani Sataki talked post-game about it and said, or it might've been before the game, I forget exactly when it happened, but he talked about it and he's like, you know, BYU shows up when nobody expects it to show up. And I think if I had to hang my hat on a narrative to describe a team, I'm going to roll with that. I mean, that is spot on about what we've seen from BYU this season. For Oklahoma, injuries are going to be key. I mean, yes, they still need help to get to Arlington. You know, Oklahoma State kind of controls their own destiny, from what I understand, um, alongside Texas, if they both went out. You know, if this injury happens with Jackson, like Jackson Arnold's a good enough prospect, but it is still that freshman player going up in their first career college game. As a starter, there's always that element of adjustment. So it'll be something to follow for sure, injury-wise with Oklahoma. So I don't know how that impacts them for next week. Another they're playing Friday instead of Saturday, which that extra day would be nice. But unfortunately, that's not how it goes. But we do have another game to talk about here with some incredible quarterback play from one Garrett Green. West Virginia put 1,050 points on Cincinnati. <laughs> Derek, what do you think about West Virginia and Cincinnati? It certainly felt like they could have put a 1,000 on the board with the way they were playing. I mean, this game
1: was 28-7 at halftime. And, you know, not to poop on the Cincinnati fans here, but this game was over. I mean, this game was over in the second quarter, and West Virginia never looked back. I mean, the Mountaineers ran for 424 yards against the Bearcats. Garrett Green rushed for three touchdowns. True freshman, Jaheem White. Uh, rush for 204 yards in the score, so he's definitely going to be up for some uh, freshman of the week uh, awards nationally. But overall, this was just a game where West Virginia said, I am going to run the football down your throat, and Cincinnati had no answer whatsoever for it, and that's exactly what happened here because West Virginia controlled this game from start to finish and never let their foot off the gas pedal. Uh, I guess you could say Cincinnati got a couple garbage time uh, TD's late in the fourth quarter to kind of make the score look a little bit closer. But this, you know, this was a 42 to 7 game at one point, for crying out loud. So Cincinnati had no chance. Again, Emery Jones, we've talked about it multiple times on the podcast. Just not a quarterback that's going to win you Big 12 games, especially on the road. And uh, Cincinnati really had no chance in this one. Yeah, you know, they had a couple guys make plays, but I really can't think of anything positive to take away from Cincinnati. Other than the fact that we only have to watch this offense for one more game this season, that's probably the only positive takeaway I can think of. But for West Virginia, uh, man, you look at Neil Brown where he's where he was, I guess, before the season, where everybody thought he was going to be and where he was going to finish. They were picked to finish dead last at Big Twelve media days, and you know Neil Brown said that this team had a chip on their shoulder, and they certainly did. You know now they moved to seven and four and five and three in conference play. So even if they lose next week, they're still going to have a winning conference record, which nobody thought was going to happen. They have a chance to win eight games. And if not for a crazy Hail Mary against Houston, they could be uh, you know, pushing for nine games and you know one of the teams in second place in the conference. But, man, I tell you what, West Virginia uh, has a chance to really end this year on a high note uh, next week. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think they're going to get to eight wins, Joe.
0: I I actually agree with you. I am curious because there's been, uh, you know, I'm sure you saw the game day post. It seems like West Virginia fans are rallying around the idea of bringing back Jimbo Fisher. Even though Neil Brown wins you eight games, you know, you go eight and four in the season more than likely. What are your thoughts on that? I I hate to, you know, blindside you here, but I'm curious to think about your thoughts for the future of West Virginia. If it's going to be Neil Brown for the foreseeable future, that's where my bet is based on like, you're not going to fire a guy after he wins eight games. But I'm, I'm interested to hear what you, what you think about the coaching stuff in West Virginia. Well, there's two things to keep an eye on. The, the reason why, the whole reason why Neil Brown was here in
1: 2023 was because of his buyout. His buyout was just simply too big for West Virginia to make a move right then and there. I know they came off a dis- disappointing season last year, but after, you know, if they win eight games, and you can make an argument they should have won nine, you know, they will have a chance to win nine games once they play in their bowl game, but there's no way you can fire a coach after winning eight games after they were picked to finish dead last in the conference. I mean, this team had no business being where they are, and here we are going in the last week of the season talking about them winning eight games. Like That's insane. Like, nobody thought that was going to happen. And this is Neil Brown's best year in Morgantown, so I don't know how you can justify firing him for a guy that just got fired at Texas A&M who – had all the five-star athletes and money in the world and could not get the job done in college. State Jimbo Fisher didn't even make a bowl game last year at Texas A&M. I mean, what are we talking about here? It, 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 to me, it makes no sense. The only thing Jimbo's been good at the last, what, eight or nine years is collecting checks because that's all he's done. He has not done anything on the field to to say, like, yeah, that's who – you know. and I'm going to be proven wrong because somebody out there is going to pay him. I hope it's not West Virginia because it's still – even if they fire Neil Brown, they're still going to owe him like over $10 million and they're going to have to, you know, uh, pay Jimbo on top of that. And I, I don't get, you know, sorry to go on a rant here, but I, I don't get the whole Jimbo tie either. I know he was born in West Virginia, but he didn't coach there. I don't think he's been away from West Virginia longer than he actually lived there at this point. So I, I don't think this ties are as strong as some people think.
0: Hey, I absolutely love that. I was curious to hear your thoughts on that because I'm, I follow on the same boat. I mean, I feel like it's kind of crazy to assume you want to bring somebody else in when you're a coach who realistically, I think everybody kind of circled West Virginia being a three-four-win team, maybe this season. Obviously, you have a couple of tough games in the non con so it's it is what it is. You know, you're not going to beat Penn State more than likely, but it's crazy to look for the next big thing when you already have something going good that nobody really anticipated this year, you know, in all honesty. But talking specifically about West Virginia, Cincinnati, I mean, I absolutely love your take about the the only positive is that we don't have to watch Cincinnati play you know, another couple of uh, another couple of games. We get one more outing for the Cincinnati offense. And I tell you what, I mean, Scott Satterfield has to feel good. That it's it's the nightmare is coming to an end a little bit. Not saying that he's leaving anytime soon, but it doesn't have to be a constant. All right, well, what are we doing at the quarterback position? What are we doing here? I mean, you got to think about it. If you look to the stat list, like there's not really anybody that jumps out on the sheet. Brady Lichtenberg had a couple of snaps in this game, but not a ton, you know, nothing to write home about. Corey Kiner's had some big weeks in the past couple of weeks, didn't do much. 13 carries, 56 yards. Cincinnati's just, they're just not ready to win in the Big 12 Conference right now. Can that change? Yes. Will that change? I assume. Uh, but that's kind of the main thing for Cincinnati right now. They they are definitely, some teams don't deserve their record where they look like a better team than what they're at. Cincinnati's a 3-8 and eight team. I mean, that's the safe bet. West Virginia, man, I mean, listen to this. They ran for upwards of 400 yards in this game as a team. West Virginia ran for 424 rushing yards against Cincinnati. And this is a Cincinnati defense that prior to the Oklahoma state game, they were the best rushing defense in the big 12, which kind of blows my mind to hear best and a Cincinnati unit mentioned in the same sentence because I didn't anticipate that, but they've done a pretty good job of bottling running backs up this season. Obviously, Ollie Gordon does Ollie Gordon things. Then you get, you know, everybody on West Virginia's roster. Doesn't matter what number it is. Doesn't matter what position you're at. Everybody was successful in the rushing attack. So that's something good to talk about with West Virginia, but I mean, this is, this is a year that you got to feel great about as a West Virginia fan. Obviously, you don't win the big games, but you've gotten some good wins that you should at least have some momentum riding into the future. Moving on to the next one here, Texas Tech-UCF, a game that I actually deceptively thought would be one of the better ones of the week. Sure enough, a close contest between the Red Raiders and the Knights. What do you think about Texas Tech-UCF? Yeah. Man, out of all
1: the games of the weekend, this was probably like the weirdest one for me. It was definitely a an interesting game back and forth for the most part, but when UCF jumped out to that early 14 uh, nothing lead in the first quarter, uh, I thought that that momentum that they had coming off the Oklahoma State game kind of carried over, but uh, much like, I guess, the opposite of Oklahoma State, UCF wasn't able to do much really after that. They only scored nine points all in the fourth quarter, but Reese, uh, John Reese Plumlee certainly – did not have his best day, uh, but he, you know, actually ended up leading the team in rushing yards uh, with 84 yards as UCF ran for over 230 yards. Which, as you know, weeks kind of go on, I think their rushing attack has proven to be one of the better ones in the Big 12 because it seems like that's really been the main focus of their offense. But you know, while that has been good for them, I felt like it's kind of taken away from Plumlee because the last few weeks he really hasn't done a whole lot with his arm because he's kind of really struggled. So they revert to the running game, but. UCF did some nice things here and there. They had that fake field goal by Colton, uh, Colton Boomer, which uh, kind of led them uh, got them in a scoring position. But really, for me, UCF, I thought defensively they had some major breakdowns, especially in the second half. I thought Taj Brooks and the uh, Texas Tech offense did a nice job wearing them down. They kept feeding them the football. And it's something we've talked about, much like with Ollie Gordon early on, you know, keep feeding Taj Brooks. He's a guy that really Texas Tech kind of got away from early in the season and they, you know, four or five games in they realize that they have a bell cow back there so they start feeding him he starts really kind of wearing down on those defenses and that's exactly what happened uh for UCF they just got wore down at the end you know and and Colton did have that nice uh fake field goal he also missed a blocked an extra point and then missed a field goal so UCF definitely left some points out there but as for Texas Tech I thought I've already talked about Taj Brooks he really kind of carried the offense for me I thought Morton did a great job Baron Morton Uh, throwing for 256 yards and two touchdowns but you know not a whole lot for me to take away from either team here I guess the one thing I would say is that with the win Texas Tech's now bowl eligible I think Joey McGuire is now the second coach in Texas Tech history to go to bowl games in his first two seasons so that's a pretty big deal but I also at the same time I feel like it's kind of a disappointment because we had really high expectations uh, for this football team and I, I know Pete had them playing in the Big 12 title game. Me and you, Joe, talked about them being a dark horse contender to win the Big 12. But, you know, with all the injuries that they have, and, and we also saw today on social media that Tyler show was not going to be there next season. He's going to transfer out. So some interesting times going on in Lubbock, and I guess Baron Morton is going to be their quarterback uh, moving forward. But, again, Texas Tech bowl eligible. I guess that's probably my big takeaway from this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a game where you look at it and say – I don't know if I really learned anything different about either of these teams. Like you don't learn anything new. Obviously it's week 12. So you're not really learning a ton new for every team, but there are some things you take away and say, you know what? That's interesting to focus on this game. I mean, I really do think the biggest takeaway is the announcement of entering the transfer portal for Tyler show after the game. Um, He had a big statement prepared and kind of just talked about like, well, it's time to move on. It's not going to work out. Obviously Baron Morton at this point has been playing good football and looks like the future of Texas Tech. Obviously, this season has been a disappointment based on a couple of different injuries and stuff. Taj Brooks has been incredible. So there's there's definitely that. But I don't know what you take away from UCF here. They're still chasing down bowl eligibility here. One more game. I'm not entirely sure who they play next week. I guess I could take a look at that here in a sec. Uh, but they still have a chance at it. Five wins at the moment. So that'll be something to follow for sure. UCF takes on Houston next week. They should have a good shot at it depending on what happens and A fluky Houston game. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I I think the biggest thing, like Taj Brooks was still dominant in the fact that they've started giving him the football, it's not lost on me as to why they've won the last couple of games in a row. I mean, that's kind of the thing that you would tie in for both as the main thing is hey, you know, when you give the football to a good running back, usually good things happen. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But Texas Tech on a little bit of a winning streak here, obviously, still kind of a disappointment. But overall, I mean, they're headed in the right direction in their own way. Even if it does come at the loss of a veteran quarterback, there's a, you know there should be some good things on the horizon, especially bringing in top recruits. They've got Micah Hudson committed. I think Will Hammond, if I'm not forgetting, I forget no, I could be getting that name wrong. But there's a couple of big prospects headed to Lubbock here in the near future. But moving on to the last game of the weekend, we had TCU Baylor in a game with Josh Hoover absolutely going off. I mean, you had a crazy quarterback day. I don't want to steal your thunder here too much, but I mean it was a great day for TCU Baylor. Still continuing to struggle. I will let you have the floor. For the final game of the weekend, TCU and Baylor.
1: Well, you mentioned it. Josh Hoover uh, went off on this game 412 yards in the air, two touchdowns, no interceptions. QBR of 98.6. So didn't get a whole lot better than that for if you're Josh Hoover. And I think without a doubt now, he's kind of taking the reins from Chandler Morris. And I think he's got to be your quarterback moving forward. Uh, you know, he did have that one game where he struggled a little bit, but overall the last couple of weeks i thought he's played some fantastic football and really given this offense some life which it's so so desperately needed um uh, his favorite target on the day jared wiley the big tight end 178 yards on seven receptions and two touchdowns along a tight end going 81 yards uh, not not something you see too often so i thought tcu did a fantastic job and uh, on offense, and they did a great job defensively shutting down Baylor's uh, offense in the second half because Baylor only scored seven points, so for TCU, big win, much needed win to keep their bowl hopes alive, but obviously we know that they're going to take on the Sooners and Normans, so that is going to be a really tough uh, draw for them to get to that magical sixth win, but uh, I guess if there's one thing for TCU, they are now the, uh, what is it, Blue Bonnet Battle of Champions, <laughs> Battle of the Blue Bonnet Champions, whatever they call it, and they get to take home that hideous trophy for a year that would be really unfortunate if they dropped it and it shattered to a million pieces but we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that too much uh as for Baylor here we can talk about what happened in this game but at, at this point their season's done they're, they're now at three and eight uh on the year after this loss with they're probably gonna play they're gonna play West Virginia next week let's face it they're probably gonna go three and nine uh, the Bears are now, Joe, ready for the 6-11 and 11 in the last 17 Big 12 games. and the last 15 games overall, they are 4-11. and 11. Oh. And I'm going to let you have the floor with that,
0: Joe. That is horrible. That is absolutely horrible. And I will jump in on this. You are less than two years removed from winning a Big 12 title. Even if you lose a lot of talent, even if you lose coaches, if you lose different people, I get that. But something has to change in bay uh, in, you know in waco i mean i get that it's not always easy to win college football games if you're a coach like, like uh excuse me dave aranda was up for some big jobs for a long time like right after that there's a lot of people you know instead of the climbers of the world or light poles of the world it was kind of that dave aranda question of well there's a good coach in waco that you know might be looking at the move his whole thing is the defensive minded side of things tcu scored on six straight possessions you know, in the first half and then trailing into the second half. I mean, there was no fight from Baylor. And I think like Pete had a great take talking about this, uh, you know, he expanded on it. There is no life from Baylor. When you watch this team play, even when they're in the middle of a one score game against their rivals in the, you know, blue bonnet battle, blue bonnet clash, whatever. There's a lot of weird things with that whole mascot rivalry trophy, everything going on with the blue bonnet battle where, you know, obviously you and I do not, uh, do not roll with the the trophy or the nickname of the of the rivalry much anymore, um, but overall, like there is not a reason to be excited about Baylor football, and that's really all I can say about it. At least right now, there is not a an optimism like oh, but this is happening or oh, this is going to happen. I see none of those right now. With TCU, like I'll jump to TCU here. You see some of those. Obviously, you're fresh off a national championship appearance last year, so there's already that fresh in the memory banks, but. You see, like, Josh Hoover has been a really good player for TCU. Obviously, he's had some hiccups here and there, but, you know, the guy goes from throwing six interceptions in his last four outings to none against Baylor. I mean, he had five incompletions in the game, 24 of 29, 412, two scores through the air and one on the ground. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of great things to feel good about if you're a TCU fan. Baylor doesn't have that. And I think that's the, that's the main thing you look at is that Baylor doesn't have those reasons to be like, well... We've at least got a good recruiting class. That's not there. You don't have a good coaching staff. You don't have great players. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to change in Waco. And I don't know, you know, if I know even what all needs to go into that, but there's going to be some questions here in the future. But I got to ask you this. We, you know, we've talked about each game here. Let's wind down a little bit with some overall thoughts on the weekend. What do you think for the whole, you know, the package as a whole for the week 12 outings for the Big 12 Conference? Well, I think for the conference itself that, there were a lot of headaches save from
1: Oklahoma state winning and Texas winning. For me, those were really the two big games. You kind of circled this weekend because if, if either one of those teams lost those games, all chaos and all hell would have probably broke loose because the tie, the tiebreakers While while we keep establishing what they are and the big 12 release something today, they are just as confusing to me as they were a week ago. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about that, but you know you just kind of got to hope that certain teams win to kind of make things less complicated because again you know we're going to be in the same boat once again next weekend where if Texas loses or Oklahoma State loses things are going to get really messy and really complicated and you know one or two of the other fan bases are going to be really pissed off that their team didn't get in uh when they had the same conference record so for me, I, I think this is a big win. I mean, Texas, essentially, I guess if you want to say, they're pretty much in because almost every scenario imaginable has them in. There are very few scenarios where they don't uh, make it to Jerry World, but that Oklahoma State game next week, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but that, that's going to be another huge, huge game for the conference and, and the outlook of things for, for the title game.
0: I, 100 agree, uh, I 100% agree with you, and I'm going to echo those sentiments for sure. Um, we've got some good games to talk about. I mean, you know, you talked about some of the Oklahoma state stuff and Texas obviously is their own matchup to take care of. We've got some good matchups in week 13 with spreads varying pretty far. I'll read you through here before we start making game picks to kick off the weekend. You've got Oklahoma hosting TCU as 11 point favorites in that game, Texas minus 14 versus Texas tech, Cincinnati plus four, or excuse me, plus three versus Kansas UCF minus nine versus Houston. Oklahoma State favored by 16 points versus BYU in Stillwater. Baylor plus six versus West Virginia and Kansas State minus nine versus Iowa State at Farmageddon. There's going to be a lot of great things to talk about, and it's exciting to see some of the matchups. But, you know, I think the biggest thing, like, I have no idea what the playoff scenarios are. The Big 12 tried to clarify the day and talk about what needs to happen. And basically, they said, if Texas loses, we'll talk about it again. But we don't know what's going to happen yet. I mean, that was the main takeaway. But I got to ask you this. And I'll let you go first on this one, talking about a couple of different games, but we got some great things to talk about in terms of the the line specifically, which teams are going to win. I don't even know what to expect in this this last week, so I'm glad you were going first. Oklahoma, minus 11 versus versus TCU. This game is in Norman. Derek, what do you think about this game?
1: You know, with this game being in Norman, I I feel like the Sooners are going to kind of, this is the last game, senior day, obviously, so I think there's going to be a lot of emotions, but... Dude, I hate these Friday, Friday Black Friday games. I cannot stand them. They're so weird for me. Um, if it was an eleven a.m. game, I would probably take TCU just because I'm not a big fan of those. But this is a night game. Uh, I think I don't know, Joe. I, I, I probably, I guess, I'd go with Oklahoma here. I'm, I, that's kind of a coin flip game. I don't, I don't, you know how I am about those double digit lines. I'm not a mm-hmm. big fan of them. I think I'm going to take the Sooners to cover that spread here. I know it's a lot, and I know TCU is coming off a big win against Baylor and Josh Hoover's playing well, but I think Oklahoma's going to try to make a statement uh, on Friday.
0: I mean, especially with all the different Arlington things. Control what you can control. They're going to do their best. I don't think anybody's mad at you for rolling with Oklahoma. I think I'm going to go TCU. I mean, it's apprehensive based off what we saw this past week, but, I mean, after watching TCU take it to Texas within three points, obviously these are different teams, but... There's an element that TCU covers this game. It's going to be, you know, a tough task either way, but I will loosely roll with TCU plus 11. I'll take the points and we'll see how that one rolls out. Next thing we've got Texas minus 14 versus Texas tech. Brett Yormark will be in attendance for this one. I saw today that a, uh, a press pass was cleared for the league commissioner to talk about or to attend the game as he talked about there earlier in the season. I will probably roll with Texas Tech. I know that Texas is going to be hungry for not only just a Big 12 title appearance, but they legitimately have a shot at a college football playoff here this season. So they're going to be playing well. But I think Texas Tech, for whatever reason, this feels like one of those games, it's going to come down to the wire and then Texas will find a way late. That's kind of where I'd hang my hat on this one. Derek, what do you think about Texas minus 14 versus Texas Tech?
1: It's funny. You brought up the Brett Yormark uh, going to be there because now I just thought about what he said. Going into the season about him, you know, talking about Joey McGuire at that Red Raider luncheon or whatever it was and talking about Texas and, and, you know, he hopes he beats them. I think with Texas and company knowing that Brett Yarmark is going to be there in attendance and that they have a chance to clinch a spot in the Big 12 title game uh, in this specific game that he's going to be there, I think Texas is going to roll texas tech like i think this spread could be 20 and i still might take the longhorns in this one because i much like the sooners i think the longhorns are going to try to make a big statement on set on the is this game on friday or saturday joe i think it's saturday on this one i think it's saturday okay. at six i believe okay i think texas definitely going to try to make a statement here
0: yeah i agree with you there for sure i'm going to roll with texas tech but i could definitely see it being the other way especially with some extra added momentum for you know a top 10 team in the country is always a bold strategy but we got cincinnati plus three versus kansas derek what do you think about this one
1: oh man joe I, i'm definitely gonna take kansas here i don't cincinnati nothing left to play for their season's done um i'm i'm gonna stick with the jayhawks here i don't i do not like this line for cincinnati at all i think kansas is going to cover this with ease.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Kansas wins this game. They cover. If you want a justification for Cincinnati, maybe. Um, Just the only thing that has that Kansas has going against them is kind of the letdown game following a you know heartbreaking loss. So you have that, but I don't know. I would take uh, Kansas if I'm a smart betting man, which ideally that's the goal, you know. Uh, UCF minus nine versus Houston in this game. Nine points is kind of a lot of points for these two teams. I know Houston has been up and down, but. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be any, you know, too much extra. Obviously, you have both teams working towards a uh towards bowl eligibility. I think UCF would be, you know, the better team overall. But I could also see one of those weird Donovan Smith games where he goes for 330 and three scores and a pick just out of nowhere. I'll take Houston plus nine in this game just because it's a lot of points to cover. What about you? I think the same, Joe. I don't like there's
1: a lot of these lines where we're going to have what? One, two, three, four, five lines that are over nine nine points or more. That is a lot. That is a lot of points out there. Uh, I'm going to roll with Houston. I think UCF wins this game and becomes bowl eligible. But Houston, you know, I know they're kind of down in the dumps right now, but I think this is
0: probably going to be a one-score game. So I'm going to take Houston to cover here. Well, unfortunately, we're not getting any uh, smaller lines here yet. Oklahoma State minus 16 versus BYU. Derek, what do you think about this game? If the BYU
1: team that Oklahoma just had to face uh, comes to Stillwater next week, I am going to go with BYU all day, and this game is probably going to end up being like a three-point game because I do not trust Oklahoma State right now. I know they they bounced back in the second half against Houston and they ended up winning by two uh, double digits, but I just don't trust this Oklahoma State team. Maybe, maybe they proved me wrong, Joe, but I'm going
0: to stick with BYU here. You know, I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's, it's wise to roll with Oklahoma State at this point. 16 points is a lot of points. I mean, you could insert maybe every team in the league except for two or three, and I'd still be apprehensive about it. Um, I would say that 16 points is a lot. I'll roll with BYU. I think they'll have some energy to come back to, especially after playing Oklahoma as close as they did. Baylor plus six versus West Virginia. This game is in Waco, but obviously Baylor we've talked about at lengths. Um, I'm going to stay as far away from Baylor as humanly possible. I know West Virginia has been a little bit different on the road versus at home, uh, but I'm going to go West Virginia minus six in this game.
1: Yeah, same thing. I, Baylor, nothing to play for. Uh, surprisingly, this was actually going to be a night game, so I don't know if that's going to help Baylor at all, but. Bears have nothing to play for; their season's done. I think they're probably going to pack it in this year. Uh, I, I'm going to take West Virginia. They have a chance to get to eight wins for Neil Brown. I think that's a big deal, and uh, I think West Virginia going to going to cover the spread with ease.
0: Well, let me ask you about the last game of our of our events here this week: Farmageddon, Kansas State favored by nine at home, playing Iowa State. Derek, what do you think about this game?
1: Well farmageddon always one of my favorite games of the year uh again very large spread here i'm kind of surprised at that i know iowa state just lost to texas by double digits at home but kansas state being i know they're playing at home in manhattan but being a nine point favorite seems kind of high for me especially for this game uh this rivalry game so i think i'm going to take iowa state here to cover those points i think kansas state's probably going to end up winning this game i'm just not so sure about iowa state's offense how they're going to handle this environment but I think I'm going to take Iowa State to cover that nine-point spread.
0: Yeah, this is really tough. I mean, nine points, like, logically doesn't feel like it makes so much sense to me. Uh, but Kansas State has been lights out at at home. I mean, they're averaging 45 points a game at home. If this game is in Ames, I feel like it's almost a two-and-a-half-point spread. I mean, that's how different the environments could be. I will roll with Kansas State based on the fact that I think they will still miss out on Arlington just overall based on what's going to happen towards the end. But I do think Chris Kleiman's squad will also be looking to make a statement. I will take Kansas State, but I could also very easily see this being a field goal game because Iowa State, I mean, they're a tough team. But I will ask you this. Is there one game you feel better about than the rest? Is there one that you put that Derek D- Derek Duke stamp of approval on? Which game are you looking for for your lock of the week?
1: Oh, boy. There's, I mentioned there's, what, five, four or five spreads that are nine points or higher To me, it's a toss-up between West Virginia and Kansas. Um, I'm probably going to roll with Kansas here, covering that three-point spread against Cincinnati. I just, you know, as bad as Baylor and Cincinnati are, I think Kansas, I feel pretty confident in that game that that they're going to cover that spread. You know, if Jason Bean's back, I don't know his health status going into the weekend, but if he's back, I feel a lot better about that compared to when Cole Ballard's at quarterback for them, but I'm still going to roll with the Jayhawks here.
0: I would agree with you and choose the other one there, whichever one you'd, you know, you'd wouldn't would roll with if you go Kansas-Cincinnati or West Virginia-Baylor. But to keep it a little fresh, I will actually go BYU plus 16 as my lock of the week. I feel like Oklahoma State, I still feel like it's going to win this game. Um, I'm going to gamble on BYU there. I feel like they do have a shot to show up, and even if they don't win, I think it would be a close one. Uh, but let me ask you this before we get out of here. What are you looking for this week? I hate to put you on the spot, but we got one week here of Big 12 football left before we start heading into – all of the different tiebreaker situations, Derek. What are you looking for this week? Is there anything that you're keeping your eye on as we head towards Arlington?
1: I think the same thing. I kind of came into this this last weekend going in. I, I'm really going to focus in on the the Oklahoma State and BYU game and the Texas Texas Tech game. I don't I don't really have any concerns about Texas dropping their game. And even like I said before, even if they lose, I think they're still going to find themselves uh, playing for Big Twelve title. However, this Oklahoma State game, for so many reasons and so many other teams that are in contention for this, like Kansas State and Oklahoma, um, that Oklahoma State-BYU game is going to be the game of the weekend that is going to determine a whole lot of things uh, for the conference because if Oklahoma State loses – all chaos and all hell is going to break loose in the conference. And, and we, might, we might have to get more clarification on the uh, the tiebreaker rules once again if that happens. But that Oklahoma State game, I think for any Big 12 fan, uh, just w- the outcome of that is going to be so important for the rest of the league.
0: I 100% agree, and I think it'll be interesting to watch. But as we get out of here, let me say thank you guys so much for listening to the Heartland After Dark podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you. We're going to be back to talk some you know some post clarity, uh, tiebreaker rules here. We'll know a little bit more here in the next episode, and we'll give you a little bit of preview looking towards Arlington, but we appreciate each and every one of you have a wonderful rest of your day. We will talk to you in the future here soon.